Hey, Dan, should I invest all of my money in Bitcoin? Only if you want to hasten the inevitable environmental apocalypse of the future. Welcome to Fleece Fest, where we talk about how greed and stupidity are destroying the world. I'm Jessica. I'm a financial planner. And I'm Dan, and I'm also a financial planner. So, Dan, mansplain Bitcoin to me. Uh, Okay. Bitcoin is the original cryptocurrency. And for anybody who is completely unaware of that fact or anything else around it, uh, it was established by a white paper, uh, in a white paper by a pseudonymed coder, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, back in 2008, who then went on to actually create the original code for Bitcoin and mined the first block of Bitcoin. There are a million incredibly deep articles, guides, books, podcasts, videos, online communities, I'm sure tattooed like dialectics uh, on what Bitcoin actually is. So I'm, I'm not going to get into it. Suffice to say, it is the OG cryptocurrency upon which thousands and thousands of alternative blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies and other concepts utilizing those technologies have been produced. Today, it is primarily used as a financial asset by risk-seeking investors, and it is marginally, moderately, barely used as an actual form of currency. Gotcha. Uh, I have to say, I've obviously heard a lot about crypto in the past few years, uh, just basically living and existing in America uh, <laughs> and not living in a hole. I, it, you know, I think that in particular, the idea of crypto gained a lot of traction in the industry uh, where a lot of my clients work, which is the sex work industry, uh, as a solution to banking discrimination. Uh, they have a lot of issues uh, with getting bank accounts closed. So I, I kept hearing about crypto seeming to solve the problem of making money transfers more anonymous uh, and being able to send money back and forth. I also feel like I heard about a thousand people in my circle of friends making a ton of money on crypto. And I, well, Dan, you know, I love making money. So of course I I wanted to hear more about it. Don't we all love making money, Jess? (laughs) Love it. It's my favorite thing. So I, I guess you know, in, a, in an ideal perfect world, Bitcoin is this magical currency that removes all intermediaries, that has a value that the marketplace really places on it, that is immune from market manipulation by central banks or by currency, uh, you know, currency influences or other economic factors. Uh, it's been called a hedge against inflation, a hedge against market volatility. I mean, it, it has all these wonderful visions visionary concepts applied to it. But here's the fundamental issue. Bitcoin is bad, if not the worst, at everything its advocates claim that it's good for. Uh, You know, despite that wonderful vision of a future in which we no longer have other currencies and we have this magical independent currency that nobody can control or influence, it really is just this libertarian sociopath's wet dream being made a digital reality. I mean, first of all, it is highly unstable. I mean, it, it like not not just a little unstable, it is as unstable as a currency could possibly be. And that makes it incredibly unreliable as a currency, right? The price fluctuates substantially on a minute by minute, day by day basis. 
Okay, I mean, you're talking about a situation in which a Bitcoin might buy you a car one day and it might be only worth enough to buy you dinner the next day. I mean, it's just these wildly different fluctuations in value. And that means that any transaction that's going to be agreed to over a long period of time, right? Let's think about negotiating the sale of a house or an expensive piece of art or even just trying to to you know, negotiate a transaction for a large quantity of just Bitcoin itself in exchange for some other medium is almost out the window by default, right? Unless a different form of currency is used to denominate the actual value of the transaction. Because if you start the negotiation and say, hey, uh, I'm going to buy your office building from you for, let's say, 15 Bitcoin, between the time that you just take your tour of the building and make that offer, the value of the Bitcoin will change so dramatically that that offer might be incredibly overpaying or underpaying. And the longer that goes on, right, if you get lawyers involved and you have to negotiate a contract and go through all the tax things and title things, like by the time this transaction takes a couple of days or weeks or months to hash out, the Bitcoin number you started with is completely meaningless, right? So even you know, even with that in mind, at the end of the day, even in a quick transaction, right, just, just a, over the course of a conversation, the value that we're talking about might change dramatically over a relatively short period of time. And time is actually another really critical issue for Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin can only complete seven transactions per second. Now, like that's a lot, right? You, you could not swipe your credit card seven times in a second if you tried. I would say, I probably could do it, Dan. <laughs> Yeah, you you have a well a well practiced credit card hand. Yeah, you find me an IKEA. I, I was just thinking of those guys who like competitively crack walnuts with their head. Like maybe they're fast enough to do it, uh, but otherwise, I mean, in a, in a real person's world, right? We don't complete seven transactions per second individually, and so that's fine. But I mean, just to do the math here for a second, if one in a hundred people in the world wanted to complete a single transaction using Bitcoin, it would take one hundred and thirty days for one in a hundred people to complete their transactions. And if everybody on earth wanted to complete a single transaction with Bitcoin, it would take 35 years and nine months, right? So it's not capable of handling the volume of transactions that are out there, right? I mean, just to give you the idea, there are a couple million transactions handled on the Visa network every every second. You're you're talking about just an incredibly large volume of transactions, not to mention uh, transactions on exchanges and in other marketplaces that are non-digital, right? There's just too many transactions. So Bitcoin quite literally can't handle the volume. So that leads us to the next problem, which is Bitcoin is touted as this independent economic system with no intermediaries. And it itself can do that. And that makes it an appealing medium of exchange, right? The, the example you gave it of it being a way for sex workers to receive payments anonymously and securely to, to avoid being uh, debanked, right, or kicked off of financial platforms uh, by, by financial institutions, right? There, there is meaning to that. But the problem here is that all of these transactions are going to be made permanently public because that's how the distributed ledger and blockchain technology works. And this is impossible to do without an enormous amount of energy consumption as a byproduct of the mining process to expand that distributed ledger. So if people ever stop mining Bitcoin, which when the last creation block is released, it's supposed to be in like another 120 years or something, right? 120 years from now at the current rate of Bitcoin mining, it's just going to stop working because there's going to be no more material upon which to record transactions, or at least there could be, but there will no longer be a financial incentive for people to continue to produce that medium. So, you know, 
there's no reason that people would do it. Therefore, it will not happen, right? And, and the amount of production required to maintain that platform beyond that point, even then would still require such an amount of money that it's not only just going to be like a thing where it's like, oh, some hobbyists can keep it alive out of goodness of their heart. Like, no, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars worth of energy consumption to handle seven transactions a second across the final iteration of Bitcoin 120 years from now. Um and so, I mean, even though there's no intermediary like a bank in your transactions, right, you're, you are reliant upon this network of miners to create that medium and to do and to, to create the, the actual distributed ledger. And ultimately, what that leads us to is the point where even though it is this independent economic system, it's such a pain in the ass to perform transactions with Bitcoin itself, like doing a, a Bitcoin cryptocurrency transaction on your phone or on your computer is so tedious that and ultimately so inefficient that now we have crypto exchanges, right? They've popped up all over the place. Some of them have really well-known names like FTX and Binance and Coinbase, uh, several of which have been indicted for fraud and other crimes, which is a whole different episode we could talk about. Uh, but then we get back to this libertarian vision of this independent financial system. And the only way this independent financial system can function is by eschewing the independence and using these exchanges to use kind of representative ownership of Bitcoin, call it these like Bitcoin securities representative of the ownership of Bitcoin to transact Bitcoin transactions on these exchanges, which ultimately then what is the point of the Bitcoin, right? We, we now have a fantasy currency that we are now trading at higher volumes than the existence of the fantasy currency with a second layer of fantasy currency just to overcome the gross inefficiency of that currency. You can tell Dan is mad if he's using the word eschew. Yeah, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of money on my education and I'm trying to get those $10 words back. <laughs> Got to get those GRE words in whatever you can. Um, so just all this sounds overly complicated to me. And so it seems like, you know, there's a lot of systems and there's a lot of things that could go wrong here. But really what I want to talk about, Dan, is how do I make money? That's really how I know about Bitcoin is I want the dollar bills. So tell me how, how this all works. Sure. So, I mean, in terms of making the dollar bills, uh, I mean, we've all heard this story of this fry cook who purchased some Bitcoin back in like 2009 and ended up being a multimillionaire and drives a Lambo and like gave a TED talk. We've all heard those stories. and They've all made the local news everywhere they've happened. But the problem is that Bitcoin doesn't have any intrinsic value. Right. It, it is not worth anything on its own. You can't touch it, see it, smell it, feel it. And that's fine. Right. It's a piece of intellectual property in a, in a certain sense, except it still then does not have any utility. You can't use it for anything other than itself, other than using it as a form of currency, which, as we've already established, it's pretty darn bad at. So ultimately, to make money on Bitcoin in the way that anybody has made money on Bitcoin is that you find someone who thinks it's worth more than you do to buy it from you, right? You buy it for a certain price, you wait for other people to think it's worth more than you do, and then you sell it to them. And that's it. And that's how plenty of things work, right? We, we make investments in art or stocks or all sorts of things. And ultimately, the whole point of the purchase is the potential appreciation and value of that thing. But it's not exactly the same as other types of commodities, 
right? Uh, or other stocks or the securities, right? It's not a stock or a bond. It doesn't have dividends. It doesn't have cash flow. There's no going interest, right? There's no enterprise. If Bitcoin, quote unquote, went bankrupt, then there would be no offices and furniture to potentially sell or hardware or equipment or anything like that. So you couldn't liquidate Bitcoin for any real value at all because Bitcoin has no actual value. And it's not producing any goods or services of any sort that's actually enhancing the world or improving the world, right? And and even to take something like, uh, let's say, gold, where people uh, you know talk about Bitcoin as being digital gold, this this inflation hedge, this volatility hedge, and so on. Gold actually has intrinsic value. It, it's used in a whole bunch of different ways, uh, but ultimately. When you think about this idea of Bitcoin being valuable, really, at the end of the day, you're just doing Burton Molecules, uh, a random walk down Wall Street shtick about uh, the greater fool, right? You're riding a, a train up the side of a mountain and you know you, bu- you got bought a ticket further down the mountain and now that you're further up the mountain, the ticket's more valuable. But at some point, the train's going to go off a cliff. And so you want to ride the train as long as you possibly can and then get some other sucker to buy a ticket from you. So you can trade places before it goes off a cliff. That's the entire thing, right? So ultimately, not only is it this zero-sum game where you can only make money if other people think it's worth more than you think it's worth, but at some point, somebody's going to get left holding the bag. So it's just basically a, a, a giant Ponzi scheme almost, <laughs> or MLM. <laughs> not maybe I, point, I, would, but... I would say it's, it has that feeling, though. It has that vibe, though. I mean, just just to give the context here, right? There's so much fraud in the cryptocurrency space. A uh, Forbes analysis back in 2022 found that literally over half the Bitcoin transactions done on exchanges were, were fraudulent. Literally 51% were faked, right? And, and that's actually a big problem because you know, we think about the valuation of an asset as being dependent on what other people would pay for it at any given time. And that's really easy to do with something like a highly traded stock. You think like an Apple or a Google where it's trades, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of shares a day. And that makes it really easy to fairly assess its value and its price. On the other side of that coin, you think about your house. And when you buy your house, you know, you buy it at a certain price. And if you ever get it reappraised or you sell it years down the road, it tends to jump tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in value potentially. And that's because you're not getting a daily offer or an offer every minute or every second on the value of it. It it was always changing in value the whole time. You just didn't assess it that frequently. So the fact that the half the Bitcoin transactions out there are faked means that the price discovery being performed by the market is largely untrue, right? It's manipulated, meaning that you can never accurately assess the value of Bitcoin in the marketplace. Because if you were to flip a coin between, you know, price A and price B, uh, there's a 50% chance that one of those prices is faked. So then you ultimately have no actual value. So it sounds very similar to front running in the stock market. So you're you're driving the price up artificially. And well, if you're doing the right side of the transaction, you're walking away with a lot more money. Well, yeah, but and that's one of the other pieces that goes into this, right? Bitcoin does not fall under normal securities laws. It's been poked at by the SEC and poked at by the uh, Federal Trade Commission. But ultimately, when we think about the kind of the the regulation of Bitcoin, there's there's no protection for it. Now there are regular securities laws against just market manipulation and fraud that that have been used to prosecute people in in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space. But I mean you you have to think about where that value actually is and ultimately what that value actually could be. And and the issue here then is that there's this 
I'll call it a essentially a cult, right? There's this large propaganda factor that surrounds cryptocurrency, right? And there are fans of companies, right? Like there are people who have their entire Twitter profile built up around Tesla uh, or news from Berkshire Hathaway or something like that. But you don't really see fans of actual currencies in the real world, right? Like you don't see accounts dedicated to the British pound or Canadian dollars or something like that. But Bitcoin has this enormous ecosystem of influencers, investors, investor newsletters, conferences, companies, organizations, websites dedicated to really what we could only describe as as worship of crypto, it's this absolutely insane behavior because at its root, again, Bitcoin is worse than just about any other asset because every other asset that we can think of in the conventional stock market, bond market, even the commodities market has some level of going interest, going concern or intrinsic value that can actually add worth to the world in some way, shape or form. But you can still use crypto to pay people and purchase goods and services, right? Like I'm pretty sure that the my favorite bagel place in New York City takes crypto as payment, correct? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, somebody out there will accept crypto, uh, you know, in exchange for goods or services. The value is questionable, as we talked about, the longer the transaction goes on, the worse that that's going to work out. But there are goods and services and people and businesses out there that will exchange crypto for it. So I mean, at the very least, you could potentially exchange a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin for some acceptably delicious, completely unremarkable New York City bagels. I can't. We can't. We can't be friends, Dan. I, I one day I'm going to ship you some good everything bagels. They're going to be frozen, so you can get them all nice and toasty, and then you will understand that there are good bagels in the world. <laughs> all, all bagels are good bagels, Jess. There are no bad bagels. Oh God, that's so not true. It's so not true. Please. Just, oh, anyway, <sighs> dying. It's okay. I, I think you, I think you'll make it in the end. <laughs> Something else that we should probably probably talk about is just the general level of fraud. You you mentioned sort of pump and dump scams and whatnot. But in addition to all the issues around pump and dump scams or people, uh, you know, fishing, fishing and so on and so forth. Right. There's just a lot of fraud and theft in general. And that's not unique. Right. There's plenty of fraud and theft in the real economic system and marketplace and around real goods and services uh, all the time. But there's this it comes back to this independent financial system convenience factor right so you have cold storage and hot storage cold storage is having your crypto stored on something like a thumb drive essentially uh, hot storage is having it connected to the internet in some way shape or form or having it be on an actual exchange and you, it doesn't matter which version of storage people use. They have been physically stolen in the sense that their physical wallet can be stolen or that their you know, their house can be be robbed. On the other side of that, people who have you know, exchange linked accounts can be fished. They can be hacked. They can be conned. And even beyond that, right, as, as we've seen with some of the exchanges, we've seen literally the actual cryptocurrency exchanges steal people's money, steal people's crypto assets and Bitcoin. We've also seen cases where the entire exchange has been hacked right their 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 own wallet their own uh, form of storage for all the assets on the exchange have been hacked and those assets have been stolen or huge portions of those assets have been stolen so all the pieces about how blockchain is very secure and the distributed ledger protects against fraud it makes for great forensic evidence in tracking down culprits that's certainly a fact because if you steal all the cryptocurrency then there's still this distributed ledger that records where it came from and where it went but that doesn't prevent its theft 
And that certainly doesn't prevent its potential destruction than if somebody were to take it, let's say, off of an exchange and move it out of cold storage and then throw it in a river. So even then, despite all these security features and, and benefits that are touted around the safety of something like a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, there is no actual enhancements to safety. There's just a different form of protocols and safeties that are not intrinsically better. Gotcha. So you mean all those DMs that I get offering to recover my wallet are a scam? I mean, much like all the people from Nigeria descended from royalty offering to send you a million dollars, if you could just help them move some money with your bank account information. Look, I mean, wallets can be incredibly secure at face value uh, with advanced cryptography, but no amount of cryptography is going to protect you from social engineering or a good old fashioned con. Uh, It doesn't matter how much security you have in place if you willingly, if ignorantly or out of deceit, hand your money or hand access to your money over to a third party. Nothing is going to protect you. It doesn't matter how secure your actual wallet is. Gotcha. Dan, but at the end of the day, other than maybe people getting scammed out of their money and, you know, potentially losing a ton uh, when their asset drops, what's the true harm here? What else can happen, if anything? Look, you know, I don't blame anybody for getting into Bitcoin. I don't blame anybody for getting into crypto. There's been a huge amount of news and hubbub around it for over a decade at this point. We've seen people make millions and even billions of dollars in certain cases. So I I don't blame people for being interested in it. And honestly, I can forgive Bitcoin for its many, many faults because at the end of the day, no asset is perfect. And, you know, even with the the countless faults, there's really just one that I can't forgive. And and this is really the root of my problem with any Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin and crypto at large are actually and actively making the world a worse place to live in. And I don't mean that in a figurative, you know, wouldn't we be better without crypto way? I mean, literally, literally, the earth is being made worse off by Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Just to give you the reason for that. Bitcoin mining is currently estimated to consume 127 terawatt hours of energy a year. And at its peak in early 2022, it was consuming about 204 terawatt hours. To put that in perspective, 127 terawatt hours makes Bitcoin the 30th most energy consuming country in the world between Norway and Argentina. And at that peak of 204 terawatt hours, it was the 23rd most energy consuming country in the world between South Africa and Thailand. The process of transacting a single transaction on Bitcoin today is equal to in energy consumption to all the energy use of an average American household for three weeks or 772,000 transactions using the Visa card network. So think about what you do on a daily basis. You wake up, you check your phone that you just charged overnight. You go take a shower, you go downstairs, you make some toast, you make some coffee. Uh, you may, you, know, you go about your day and work from home on your computer. You go make lunch, you bake something, you watch TV, you play video games, you have friends over for dinner and leave all the lights in the house on and play some music. You do all that stuff in a single day. Now do that 21 more times. And that's the amount of energy we're talking about burning for the sake of purchasing some New York City bagels with Bitcoin. I say toast to bagel should definitely be an example here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's not a bad example. But here's the thing. If, If all of Bitcoin's energy consumption could be efficiently converted to public use, it could lift 13 million people without access to electricity 
quite literally out of darkness. Uh, But instead, we are burning up natural resources and creating a carbon footprint equal to the emissions of Libya so that nerds can get excited over quite literally nothing. Look, Dan, all I'm hearing right now is that this is a great application for some Tesla solar panels. Uh, That could be its own episode. Uh, You know, ironically, (laughs) it, it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt to have some solar in a place like Colorado where we get golf ball sized hail. You just end up replacing them every couple of years because those solar panels are class three shingles and they break like fine China. But at least you'd actually have something of value on your home instead of hodling uh, make believe fantasy money with the hopes that some dumbass is going to buy it off you before it becomes worthless. And that's sort of the point. Bitcoin has made some people a lot of money, but as an investment, it is a game with a finite lifespan. And as soon as people stop mining it or governments start regulating it or its energy consumption or public interest uh, no longer have an equilibrium and you know the, the public interest in it simply wanes and disappears, Bitcoin is going to be a worthless asset to all but its most diehard fans or future investment asset collectors, the same sort of people who buy stock certificates of, of bankrupt companies and put them in frames, right? I'm sure there'll be a, people who collect Bitcoin one day. But how long it takes us to get to that point is an open question. And in the meantime, Bitcoin is an unsafe, unstable currency asset that is causing real harm and damage to the world and the environment. So if you want to set both your money and the planet on fire, go buy some Bitcoin because we're all screwed anyway. Fleece Fests is produced by Daniel Yerker and Jessica Gettle. Daniel Yerger is an investment advisor representative of My Wealth Planners, a registered investment advisor in Colorado, and Jessica Gettle is an investment advisor representative of Pavilion Financial Planning, a registered investment advisor in Pennsylvania. Our theme song is Dr. Yes by Yari. Nothing discussed in this podcast is investment advice or any other form of advice, and the podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. If you make investments or other financial decisions because of the podcast, frankly, you weren't listening.